Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group. To prepare for our Big Book Study, let's get focused by having a three-minute moment of silent meditation followed by the fog light prayer. Good evening, everyone. I'm a recovered alcoholic, and my name is Lexi. I'm a recovered alcoholic, and my name is Chris. Thank you for joining us tonight. We're going to start the meditation in a minute, so please take a moment to get situated. And please turn off all devices that make noise or will distract others for the duration of the meeting. Any cellular phones, Game Boys, swiping devices, and uh, yeah, let's get focused. (laughs) The coffee area will be closed for this portion of the meeting as to minimize distractions. Also, please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. For the meditation, some suggestions are focus on your breath and posture. Don't get too comfortable. Breathe in God and breathe out self. Let's take this time to get reconnected to God and let the craziness of the day drift away. Let's ask God to help us stay focused on the study. We ready in the back, Ryan? Everyone ready out there? All right. Rock and roll. Thank you. 
please join me in the us version of the fog light prayer. God, would you shine through us like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through us. I realize I'm still sitting very close to you. And now we're going to have our secretary's report for the first time ever making her secretarial debut. Welcome to Nisha. Tanisha, recovered alcoholic. Hey, Hey, Tanisha. Tanisha. My name is Tanisha, and I'm I'm your recovered alcoholic. And yes, I'm going to mess this up. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states, every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. The baskets are being passed right now. Let's go, guys. (laughs) 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 And I asked Chad to read the recovered statement. Yeah, Chad. (laughs) You can can come up to the podium, Chad. Don't be shy. We're all nervous. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. Uh, My name's Chad. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Chad. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. We are now somewhere... We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Good job. 1940s-style big book sponsorship from forward to second edition Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and some and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. We have seen, felt, to believe, and experienced is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. We have CDs, mugs, large print big books, the little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale in the back. Somebody is going to be back there to be ready to make a deal. (laughs) Barry. (laughs) We meet every Monday promptly at 7.15 p.m., but really the shit started at 5.30 when we're setting up. So if you'd like to become part of this group and meet us, it's great to show up at 5.30 and help set up. 6.30 is fellowship. That's when we put our, all our phones and gadgets away, and we look at each other face-to-face and actually socialize. And <clears throat> we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at, begin at the Road to Recovery tune. See you next week. Thank you, Tanisha, and thank you, Chad. From the forward of the first edition of Alcoholics Anonymous, we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. 
to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book and of this group. From There is a Solution, also from the big book, the tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. This is an open meeting, and as such, all who have an interest in alcoholism and our program of recovery are welcome. Because this is an open meeting, you need not identify yourself nor your reason for being here if you do not wish to do so. Your anonymity will be protected. We ask that you protect ours. And on the topic of anonymity, um, this meeting is podcast on the uh, World Wide Web on the Internet. So if you do not want your voice broadcast over the web, uh, just disguise your voice or pass that microphone. Uh, Could we get a show of hands, please, of people joining us? Anybody here for the first time? First time. Yeah, girl. Welcome. Welcome. And could I have a show of hands of the recovered alcoholics in the room? Excellent. Fantastic. If your hand's not up, we suggest you talk with the people whose hands are. Well, this is an open meeting. Membership in this group is limited to those who wish to recover from alcoholism and have a desire to stop drinking for good and all. Each member of Alcoholics Anonymous is a potential sponsor of a new member and should clearly recognize the duties and obligations of such a responsibility. Uh, Does anybody need a big book? We have a few loners. Uh, It's always best to bring your own. Did did we miss anybody handing out big books? Everybody has a book? Anyone? Anyone? Okay, excellent. Right. Before we begin our study of the big book, last week we reviewed Tradition 2. It is my honor to introduce our traditionist, Mr. Ryan, to go over a quick review of Tradition 3. Please refer to the unabridged big book on page 562 and in the little guy on 177. Let's welcome Ryan. Ryan, I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Ryan. Hey. Um, So, no. (laughs) So, uh, tradition three, on the short form. The only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. And then in the long form, our membership ought to include all who suffer from alcoholism. Hence, we may refuse none who wish to recover. Nor ought AA membership ever depend upon money or conformity. Any two or three alcoholics gathered together for sobriety may call themselves an AA group, provided that as a group they have no other affiliation. Um, All right, so (laughs) I don't know if it's weird to have a favorite tradition, but if I had to pick, I would say that so far this is mine. Um, So in all the readings that I've been doing and on all the online research, uh, something that I found interesting is that Tradition 3 seems to be the one that causes the most debate, um, which is funny because it seems pretty simple. Um, And I also found it pretty cool how this tradition kind of plays off of the first two that we talked about. Um, Tradition 1, protecting the unity of AA, uh, which pretty much goes hand-in-hand with this tradition because it's all about inclusion and never exclusion. Um, And then with Tradition 2, we learn that we don't have the authority to kick anybody out um, because our ultimate authority is a loving God. Uh, There was a story that I read in the 12 and 12 about a guy who goes to an AA meeting, right? And he's talking to one of the group's oldest members, and he tells the old-timer that he's the victim of another addiction, uh, even worse stigmatized than alcoholism. And a lot of us have read this story. I think a lot of people assume that he's talking about drug use. Um, He's actually talking about being a homosexual. Um, We have to keep in mind that the story takes place in 1937, Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, So even though some of us may see the situation as intolerant, um, the group members were afraid that the stigma that this would bring to the groups if they let this guy in. Um, 
and I get it, you know, like in essence, they're gambling with the thing that gave them their lives back. Um, so the group members went back and forth with this for a while. You know, they're sitting there talking about it. They're like, if we let this guy in, would this keep other people away? You know, like, would we become like a gay group? Um, and then if they don't let this guy in, right, um, they're pretty much signing the dude's death warrant, right? You know, because this guy's a hopeless alcoholic. Um, so they don't know what to do with this guy. And they're talking about it for a while. And then one of the members, he finally speaks up and he's like, you know, the whole time we've been talking, five words have been going through my head. What would the master do? And that was it. That was the end of the discussion. There was nothing left to say after that. Um, so I think that that kind of like embodies what this tradition is about. Um, and then another story I was reading, um, I found this one actually kind of humorous. They were talking about how a Alcoholics Anonymous would only cater to pure, respectable alcoholics. Mm. I don't know any of those. So, <laughs> so in the early 1940s, general, the General Service Office asked some of the groups to send in like uh, lists of their membership requirements, right? And they did that. They wrote down all the requirements to be members of their group, and they sent them into the General Service Office. And the guys that are, are there in the office are sitting there going over these lists, and they start to realize that if all of these requirements were, were in effect at all times for all AA groups, there would be no members of AA, including them. They'd be out. So the very thing that they've been trying to protect with all these requirements, because they're so scared that it's going to fall apart, was actually going to be what made them fall apart. Um, it's kind of like that idea of like, you know, holding a handful of sand, you know, and if you hold it too tight, you're going to lose all the sand. But if you hold it loose, then you'll hold on to it. Um, so there, there was a paragraph in the 12 and 12 that I really feel like sums this up, and I just want to close with this. Um, so you are an AA member if you say so. You can declare yourself in. Nobody can keep you out. No matter who you are, no matter how low you've gone, no matter how grave your emotional complications, even your crimes, we still can't deny you AA. We don't want to keep you out. We aren't a bit afraid you'll harm us, never mind how twisted or violent you may be. We just want to be sure that you get the same great chance for sobriety that we've had. So you're an AA member the minute you declare yourself. I think that pretty much wraps it up. So that's all I've got for that's Tradition good. 3. Thanks, Rob. Awesome. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, in order to help us stay focused as we study the big book, we use the big book study guide pre prepared by Joe and Charlie and Krusty Cliff of the Dallas Primary Purpose Group. Tonight we are going to begin on page, a we're page. Going to be on one, page 138. We're actually going to yeah. trace back to uh, the top of 137 just to get a running start there. And, uh, and who Which do we... will be read tonight by our reader, Kaylee. Come on up, girl. After the page is read, we're going to ask questions from the podium, starting back at the page uh, at the top of page 138. That's where we're going to get started uh, with the questions. And the answers will be one sentence unless otherwise specified. And multi-part questions are simply a one-sentence answer split up by commas, semicolons, hyphens, and other fun bits of punctuation. I'll let you know when you start. you got a minute here. Basically, in English, what that means is that we are going to read the material once through and then re-dissect that information a second time through the question and answer format. Notice how the language in the questions gives us a new light to consider the study material. This is important because hearing the question and rereading the content offers a definite way of comprehending the material covered. After we've completed the page, we open up for comments, questions, and observations based on what was just read. If you have spiritual experiences with this information, you're free to share. However, big book study is not therapy. Should you begin sharing about topics which are more appropriately discussed in a different setting, 
uh, like sponsorship, please do not be offended when we cut that conversation short. For that purpose, we have fellowship meetings before and after our study time. You can never go wrong by commenting on the page, which brings us to the words of one of the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. Sobriety, freedom from alcohol through the teaching and practice of the 12 steps is the sole purpose of any Alcoholics Anonymous group. And on the topic of Alcoholics Anonymous, this is a big book study. We started reading it. We didn't just start in page 138 to employers tonight. We started about 70-some weeks ago. 75. 75 weeks ago. Uh, And where did we start? Page zero, preface and forewords. So the main purpose of the forwards is to help us understand what Alcoholics Anonymous is, you know, what this program's all about, how it got started, and how it evolved. We learn when our book came into play and how it's changed just so slightly with every printing. And it's easy to kind of gloss over these chapters, but if you're coming to AA to get and hopefully stay sober, it seems logical to have an idea of what you're, what you're really getting involved in here, which brings us to our very first chapter, which is... Uh, We have the doctor's opinion. This chapter was primarily written by Dr. William D. Silkworth. He was the chief physician at Towns Hospital in New York, specializing in alcoholic and drug addiction in the 1930s. Um, He talks about the disease of alcoholism. What does it mean to be an alcoholic? And this is a threefold disease. I have this spiritual malady, which is this disconnect from God, which manifests like I look restless, irritable, discontent, unless I can experience the ease and comfort that comes by taking a few drinks. And then I set off that craving. When I start drinking, I get this phenomenon of craving that makes me want more the more I drink. And I have this mental obsession, a peculiar mental twist, which basically will ensure that I can't stop myself from picking up the first drink. And if we want to see what that looks like in a human being, we have... We have Bill's story, which kind of brings the doctor's opinion to life just a little bit. This chapter is often referred to as a classic 12-step call. We get to see kind of what Bill's life was like, how his drinking life progressed, how he tried to control, moderate, and stop, how he invariably found that he could not, how the solution was introduced into his life by good old EBT, how he eventually gave in and accepted that solution, and kind of how everything went after. Um, But to elaborate on exactly what that solution is, we have a chapter called... There is a solution, and the solution is God. Uh, Spoiler alert. (laughs) Yeah, so that chapter, There is a Solution, actually talks about two separate powers. We have the power of the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. So the feeling of having shared in a common peril, which is the disease, is one element of the powerful cement that binds us, but that wouldn't have held us together as we're joined by uh, the other part of the solution, which is the spiritual experience brought about by the 12 steps. We have Dr. Carl Jung, who uh, treats Roland Hazard over in Europe for about a year, and he says, you know, You have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I've never seen a single case recover where that state of mind existed as it does in you. And Roland says, you know, I felt like the gates of hell had closed shut. But luckily, Dr. Jung tells him that people have had what are called vital spiritual experiences since the beginning of time, huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. And that's that's the other part of the solution. So we got fellowship. We got that solution. And we also, after that chapter concludes, we have the chapter on relapse, which is also known as... More, more about alcoholism. And there we talk a little bit more about alcoholism or untreated alcoholism. We learn a little bit more about that obsession of the mind, you know, that mental, the mental blank spot, the enigma of alcoholism, that at certain times an alcoholic has absolutely no mental defense against the first drink. And we also learn that self-knowledge and the fellowship are, are not that defense. And in and of themselves, they will not keep us sober. That defense must come from a higher power. 
But if that God stuff still freaks you out just a little bit, luckily we have a chapter called... We Agnostics. And in We Agnostics, uh, they say, you know, to be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis, they're not always easy alternatives to face. And then it says that uh, such beliefs as not knowing whether God exists or not believing in God, they're not a great barrier to having a spiritual experience. And so We Agnostics goes on to talk about a variety of ways that men and women have established this connection with a power greater than themselves, which has solved all of their problems, including alcoholism. And then after We Agnostics, we're, we should be sold on the program and ready to get into it at this point. So then we have the chapter. We learn a little bit more about how it works, huh? So this chapter describes how it, it being a path to a spiritual experience, works. And it also kind of precautions how it won't work. Uh, but for those that are ready, it gets you right into a third step, which is basically giving your will, which is your thoughts, and your life, which is your action over the care of God as you understand him. And then you try to get a hold of the things that are blocking you from God. And we do that through a four-step inventory. So you're putting pencil to paper and you're writing down all your resentments, your fears, your sex conduct, and your harms to others. And then once it's all out there, you can kind of see probably for the very first time who you really are. But writing your inventory by yourself isn't normally enough. We normally have to enlist the help of someone else, which brings us into... Into action. And that's the next chapter. We have the bulk of our program of recovery, our design for living in that chapter. It's chapter six. And we talk about step five and why a solitary self-appraisal is insufficient. So we have to admit to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our defects. Step six and seven, we turn those over to God. Steps eight and nine, we go out into the world and make amends. Steps 10, we have the searching and we have the, the ongoing inventory process. And this is about um, continuing to take that personal inventory that we learned about in step four. And then we have this nightly review process in step 11, which is also seeking through prayer and meditation to improve that conscious contact with God. So now we have seven steps in the chapter into action. That's the bulk of our program. And then once we've had, the, by this point, we would have had a spiritual awakening by doing this work. And so then we have the chapter. That's when we can finally work with others. Yeah, this chapter is entirely devoted to our 12th step, which says, having had a spiritual experience, we try to carry this message to other alcoholics. Because it, as it is pointed out numerous times throughout our book, nothing will so much ensure our immunity from alcohol than intensive work with other alcoholics. So this chapter kind of gives us some clear-cut directions on how to approach a newcomer with the solution and how to use this book to carry the message, which brings us to some of our pre-Alanon chapters, which, which starts with those scorned wives, yeah? That, it sure does. <laughs> uh, we have a chapter called To Wives, and um, yeah, I, I don't have any wife anymore to speak of, but it's, <laughs> it's a great thing whether or not the alcoholic stays sober. Whether you stay married or not, uh, this is how we can approach the, the person who's suffering from the disease in a way that, they, that we get to live happy, joyous, and free regardless of whether or not they stay sober. And then on the topic of the family, after To Wives Ends, we have the next chapter. Yeah, the wives don't get to have all the fun, huh? So we have the family afterwards, which is kind of an addendum to Chapter 8, but it opens the discussion to the rest of the family. So this chapter talks about all of the people we've hurt, not just our spouses, but our children, if we have them, our parents, our siblings. This chapter kind of informs families about the experiences and the feelings they might encounter when they try to let an alcoholic back into their lives, whether they're beginning a spiritual journey uh, or they're not. This chapter reinforces that alcoholism is a family disease and gives some suggestions to ensure a smoother recovery for both themselves and the alcoholic that they love. 
But we don't just hurt our wives and our families. We also do a serious number on the people that employ us or try to employ us, which brings us into the chapter we are reading tonight. Finally. That's two employers. Two employers. We're there. <laughs> we had to recap the entire book, didn't we? We did. We're at the end of this thing. We're getting wow. there. What have we read so far? Uh, so in two employers so far, we read a little bit about... Uh, you know, people spending the bulk of their time at work and, and how uh, employers can approach alcoholics. And it starts off in a pretty grim way with, with a lot of death, actually. And then that gets us. Let's start at the top of page 137, still another experience. And to give us a running start, and then we'll get into the questions on page 138. It's going to be you. Stand, sit, do whatever you want, girl. Hi, I'm Kaylee. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Hi Kaylee. Kaylee. Uh, still another experience. A woman's voice came faintly over, over long distance from Virginia. She wanted to know if her husband's company insurance was still in force. Four days before he had hanged himself in the woodshed, I had, I had been obligated to discharge him for drinking, though he was brilliant, alert, and one of the best organizers I've ever known. Here, we, here were three exceptional men lost to this world because I did not understand alcoholism as I do now. What irony. I became an alcoholic myself, and but for the intervention of an understanding person, I might have followed in their footsteps. My downfall cost the business community unknown thousands of dollars, for it takes real money to train a man for an executive position. This kind of waste goes unabated. We think the business, business fabric is shot through with a situation which might be helped by a better understanding all around. Nearly every modern employer feels a moral responsibility for the well-being of this health, and he tries to meet these responsibilities. That he has not always done so for the alcoholic is easily understood. To him, the alcoholic has often seemed a fool of the first magnitude. Because of the employee's special ability or of his own strong personal attachment to him, the employer has sometimes kept such a man at work long beyond a reasonable period. Some employers have tried every known remedy. In only a few instances has there been a lack of patience and tolerance, and we who have imposed on the best employers can scarcely blame them if they have been short with us. Here, for instance, is a typical example. An officer of one of the largest banking institutions in America knows I no longer drink. One day he told me about an executive of the same bank who, from his description, was undoubtedly alcoholic. This seemed to me like an opportunity to be helpful, so I spent two hours talking about alcoholism, the malady, and described the symptoms and the results as well as I could. His comment was, very interesting, but I'm sure the man is done drinking. He has just returned from a three-month leave of absence and has taken, a cure, ha, has taken a cure, looks fine, and to clinch the matter, the board of directors told him it was his last chance. The only answer I could make was that if the man followed the usual pattern, he would go on a bigger bus than ever. I felt this was inevitable and wondered if the bank was doing the man an injustice. Why not bring him into contact with some of our alcoholic crowd? He might have a chance. I pointed out that I had nothing I had had nothing to drink what drink whatever for three years and in this and in and this in the face of difficulties that would have made nine out of ten men drink their heads off. Why not at least afford him an opportunity to hear my story? Oh, no, said my friend. This chap is either, either through with liquor or he is minus a job. If he has your will, power, and guts, he will make the grade. Mm. I wanted to throw up my hands in discouragement, for I saw that I had failed to help my banker friend understand. He simply could not believe that his brother executive suffered from a serious illness. There was nothing to do but wait. 
Presently, the man did, did slip with and was fired. Following his discharge, we contacted him. Without much ado, he accepted the principles and procedure that had helped us. He is undoubtedly on the road to recovery. To me, this incident illustrates lack of understanding as to what really ails the alcoholic and the lack of knowledge as to what part employers might pr profitably take in salvaging their sick employees. If you desire to help, it might be well to disregard your own drinking or lack of it. Whether you are a hard drinker, a moderate drinker, or a teetotaler, you, ha you may have some pretty strong opinions, perhaps prejudices. Those who drink moderately may be more, uh, more annoyed with an alcoholic than total absenter uh, would be. Drinking occasionally and understanding your own reactions, it is possible for you to become quite sure of many things which, so far as the alcoholic is concerned, are not always so. As a moderate drinker, you can take your liquor or leave it alone. Whenever you can take your liquor, whenever you want to, you control your drinking. Of an, e of an evening, you can go on a mild bender, get up in the morning, shake your head, and go to business. To you, liquor is no real problem. You cannot see why it should be to anyone else, save the spineless and stupid. When dealing with an alcoholic, there may be a natural annoyance that a man could be so weak, stupid, and irresponsible. Even when you, when you understand the malady better, you may feel this feeling rising. A look at the alcoholic in your organization is many times illuminating. It is not usually brilliant, fast-thinking, imaginative, and likable. When sober, does he not work hard and have a knack of getting things done? If he had these qualities and did not drink, would he be worth retaining? Should he have the same consideration as other ailing employees? Is he worth salvaging? If your decision is yes, whether the reason be hum hum humanitarian or business or both, the, then the following suggestion may be helpful. Can you discard the feeling that you are dealing with habit, with stubbornness, or weak will? If, the, if this presents difficulty, rereading chapters 2 and 3, where the alcoholic sickness is discussed at length, might be worthwhile. You, as a businessman, want to know the necessities before considering the result. If you concede that your employee is ill, can be forgiven for what he has done in the past. Can his past absurdities be forgotten? Can it be appreciated that he has been victim of crooked thinking directly caused by the action of alcohol on his brain? I well remember the shock I received when a pr predominant doctor in Chicago told me of cases where pressure of the spinal fluid actually ruptured the brain. No wonder an alcoholic is strangely irrational. Who wouldn't be with such, which, with such a fevered brain? Normal drinkers are not so affected, nor can they understand the aberrations of the alcoholic. Your man has probably been trying to conceal a number of scrapes, perhaps pretty messy ones. They may be disgusting. You may be at loss to understand how such a seemingly above-board chap could be so involved. But these scrapes can generally be charged, um, no matter how bad, to the normal action of alcohol on his mind. When drinking or getting over about an alcoholic, sometimes the model of honesty, when normal, will do incredible things. Afterward, his revulsion will be terrible, nearly always. These antics indicate nothing more than temporary conditions. And that's where we are going to stop and start asking some questions. All right, awesome. And we're, yeah, we're going to start asking our questions tonight on the top of page 138, the first full paragraph where it says, here, for instance. So Lexi is going to cue us up with a question. So I'm going to try then... to read these questions, and Chris is going to run that mic. So first question. An example is that of an officer of a large bank who knows what? 
here, for instance, is a typical... We on, Shaw? It's here. Oh. Hello. Here, for instance, is a typical example. An officer of one of the largest banking institutions in America knows I no longer drink. What did this officer share with the author? One day he told me about an executive of the same bank who, from his description, was undoubtedly alcoholic. It looked like an opportunity to help, so I did what? This seemed to me. This seemed to me like an opportunity to be helpful. So I spent two hours talking about alcoholism, the malady, and described the symptoms and results as well as I could. Yeah. What was his comment? Rest of the paragraph. His comment was very interesting. Or his comment was <laughs> very interesting, but I'm sure this man is done drinking. He has just returned from a three month leave of absence has taken a cure, looks fine, and to clinch the matter, the board of directors told him this was his last chance. Next paragraph. I had only one answer, and it was what? Two sentences. The only answer I could make was that if the man followed the usual pattern, he would go on a bigger bus than ever. I felt this was inevitable and wondered if the bank was doing the man an injustice. What did I ask for? Why not bring him into contact with some of our alcoholic crowd? What good might that do? He might have a chance. What did I point out to the executive? I pointed out that I had nothing to drink, whatever, for three years, and in the face of difficulties, that would have made nine out of ten men drink their heads off. What did I then ask? Why not at least afford him an opportunity to hear my story? The man's reply was what? Rest of the paragraph. Oh, no, said my friend. This chap is either through with liquor or he is minus a job. If he has your willpower and guts, he will make the grade. Nice. Next paragraph. What did I do then and why? I wanted to throw up my hands in discouragement, for I saw that I failed to help my banker friend understand. What was he unable to believe? He simply could not believe that his brother executive suffered from a serious illness. What was my only choice? There was nothing to do but wait. What did happen to the man? Two sentences. Presently, the man did slip and was fired. Following his discharge, we contacted him. Did he have much difficulty accepting our program? Without much ado, he accepted the principle and proceeded to <clears throat> and procedure that had helped us. He is on the road to what? He is undoubtedly on the road to recovery. What two important things did this illustrate? To me, this, in, this incident illustrates lack of understanding as to what really ails the alcoholic and lack of knowledge as to what part employers might profitably take in salvaging their sick employees. New paragraph. For the employer who wants to help, what is the first thing he should do? If you desire to help, it might be well to disregard your own drinking or lack of it. Regardless of what type of drinker you are, your thinking may well be what? Whether you are a hard drinker, a moderate drinker, or a teetotaler, you may have some pretty strong opinions, perhaps prejudices. Teetotaler. What type of drinker is usually most annoyed with the alcoholic? Those who drink moderately may be more annoyed with, the, with an alcoholic than a total abstainer would be. 
The moderate drinker understands his reaction to alcohol, which, would, which will produce some fixed ideas that are what for the alcoholic? Drinking occasionally and understanding your own reactions, it is possible for you to become quite sure of many things which, so far as the alcoholic is concerned, are not always so. What can the moderate drinker do? As a moderate drinker, you can take your liquor or leave it alone. How does the moderate drinker handle his drinking? Whenever you want to, you control your drinking. On a given evening, the moderate drinker can drink to excess and do what the next morning? Of an evening, you can go on a mild bender, get up in the morning, shake your head, and go to business. What is liquor to the moderate drinker? To you, liquor is no real problem. What is the moderate drinker unable to see? You cannot see why... You cannot see why it should be to anyone else, save this fineless and stupid. Nice. New paragraph. When moderate drinkers deal with alcoholics, there's a natural reaction to feel that the alcoholic is what? When dealing with an alcoholic, there may be a natural annoyance that a man could be so weak, stupid, and irresponsible. Will this get better as the moderate drinker has a better understanding of alcoholism? Even when you understand the malady better, you may feel this feeling rising. How will it strike you as you look at an alcoholic in your organization? You look at the alcoholic in your organization is many times illuminating. What qualities would you normally find? Is he not usually brilliant, fast-thinking, imaginative, and likable? When he is sober, how does he perform? When sober, does he not work hard and have a knack of getting things done? If he didn't drink... What would he be worth? If he had these qualities and did not drink, would he be worth retaining? How about other sick employees? Should he have the same consideration as other ailing employees? What question must be answered? Is he worth salvaging? If the answer is yes, then what do we have for the employer? If your decision is yes, whether the reason be humanitarian or business, or both, then the following suggestions may be helpful. Nice. New paragraph. First, what question must be answered? Can you discard the feeling that you are dealing only with habit, with stubbornness, or a weak will? If the question is difficult to answer, what should the employer do? If this presence, if this presents difficulty, rereading chapters 2 and 3, where the alcoholic sickness is discussed at length, might be worthwhile. Why might that help? <laughs> you, as a businessman, want to know the necessities before considering the results. As a businessman, what should come first? Did I mess that up? If you can see that your employee is ill, can he be forgiven for what he has done in the past? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a businessman, what should come first? You, as a businessman, want to know the necessities before considering the result. Next question. If he can concede that the person is sick, what is the next step? Can his past absurdities be forgotten? No. Sorry. One before. Can you read that for me? If you concede? If you concede yeah. that your employer is ill, can he be forgiven for what he has done in the past? Nice. How should his past be considered? Can his past absurdities be forgotten? 
Can you accept the reality of the victim of alcoholism? Can it be appreciated that he has been a victim of crooked thinking directly caused by the action of alcohol in his brain? Nice. New paragraph. What information coming from a doctor shocked Hank? I will remember the shock I received when a prominent doctor in Chicago told me of cases where pressure of the spinal fluid actually ruptured the brain. What could that explain? Two sentences, please. No wonder an alcoholic is strangely irrational. Who wouldn't be with such a fevered brain? How are normal drinkers affected? Normal drinkers are not, are not so affected, nor can they understand the aberrations of the alcoholic. Nice. We're on the last paragraph here. What can your man, prob- what has your man probably been trying to do? Your man has probably been trying to conceal a num- number of scrapes, perhaps pretty messy ones. Some may even be what? They may be disgusting. What may you be at a loss to understand? You may be at a loss to understand how such a seemingly above-board chap could be so involved. To what can these incidences be attributed? But these scrapes can generally be charged no matter how bad to the abnormal action of alcohol in his mind. When under the influence, what will an alcoholic sometimes do? When drinking or getting out of a bout, an alcoholic sometimes the model of honesty, when normal, will do incredible things. Afterward, how will he be? Afterward, his revulsion will be terrible. Nice. Most of the time, these incidents are what? Nearly always, these antics indicate nothing more than temporary conditions. There we go. We did it. All right. Awesome. So that's uh, the first few pages of two employers. And the page is open for comments. So anybody has comments, questions, um, wanted to discuss anything that was read, um, the floor is open. You know, one thing that that really stands out to me is just... um, the misunderstanding of the alcoholic sickness. You know, people think, like, if he has half the willpower and guts that you have, then he'll straighten up. And it's like, I've, you know, been burned by alcohol so many times, um, consequences aren't a reason for me to stop drinking. They never have been. You know, the consequences can get worse and worse, but it doesn't, that doesn't solve my problem because when I drink, it does something different than it does for, for anybody else. You know, 90% of people don't have the same reaction that the alcoholic has when he drinks. Um, does anybody else have any experience with uh, willpower and guts and, and uh, how that doesn't work in, in solving your drinking problem? I mean, we've all been employed at, at one time, maybe, yeah? There we go. We got a hand. My name's Tommy, and I am an alcoholic. Hi, Tommy. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. But uh, when we were going through reading, they were trying, kind of describing me as an employee. I was definitely trying to conceal some of the benders. I was definitely thinking crooked, and I was definitely making irrational decisions at work. On the flip side of that, when I was at least halfway sober, I was a pretty good employee. I got a lot of work done. I, uh, I was in charge of a lot of responsibilities, you know, so I would have crews running and all that stuff, and I like to believe that I was still profitable to the company. 
for the work that I was doing, you know. But that doesn't make it okay. And I also worked for companies that did not operate on spiritual principles. So they kind of lent me along in my alcoholism, you know. Thanks to uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and a program of recovery, I had an opportunity where I had to go back to a lot of these companies, you know, with the clear mind, and I had to get affidavits signed to prove experience and all that good stuff. So for seven years of employment, I had to go to seven companies. I had to get seven papers signed. So I guess that shows that I was also good at finding jobs, even though I had all these other ideas going on in my mind, you know. But uh, out of those, I had like three job offers that I didn't need because they could see that um, that I was looking clean and all that good stuff, you know. But I guess a long story short, you know, I'm just really grateful that I am a member of Alcoholics Anonymous today. And I'm also really grateful that I get to look at the things that I did to all the other people around me when I thought I was only hurting myself, you know, and that also includes the employers. Thank you for letting me share. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, it says in the middle of page 140 that uh, can it be appreciated he has been a victim of crooked thinking. And uh, that just echoes what we have on page 37 when it tells us the definition of insanity. Yeah, let's walk it around the other way, maybe. Or try it again. (laughs) Speaker, I got that. All right. So, so yeah, I mean, I was a victim of crooked thinking, and, and on page 37 in, in our book, it tells us uh, lack of proportion and lack of the ability to think straight is our definition of insanity. And the only thing that's going to restore me to sanity is, is God in step two, you know, I came to believe. Um, so, you know, I've certainly had, had plenty of experience being what I thought was a worthwhile employee at times and then you know, not being so worthwhile. And this is kind of helping the employer to see things you know, where it's good for business. It's going to be good for business. Tom, yeah. Hey, Tom. I'm Tom. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Tom. Um, I was self, I was just realizing I was kind of self-employed for like four or five years of my worst drinking, so I was the employer and the employee that I hated at the same time. <laughs> um, and I tried to fire myself, but it doesn't work because I had to show up and actually do the job. And um, I, I, I didn't... You still have to work in conjunction with people, you know, and I, I think of all the opportunities I lost. I beat myself up about it a lot because I had all these wonderful opportunities and, and, and ruined them at times. Um, I have lost jobs, though, uh, from drinking, and I've gotten them back when I got sober. I was sober for a while. And that's a weird experience because you, you don't feel, you're like, oh, you, you, you think I'm worth something? Because, you know, I, you don't really feel like that good. Um, and that's about to happen now. This, my, my old job that I just lost is, wants to hire me back. They said sometime this month for sure. And um, it's like a combination of like, yeah, I deserve that. And um, no, I'm a piece of garbage. It's the internet. I can't swear. can't swear on the internet, right? Um, <laughs> uh, so it's like that middle ground of like, my, luckily my employer, uh, or soon to be future employer again, uh, is an alcoholic. And he gets it. And he's just like, yeah, you were good drunk. He's like, you're just going to be better sober. Um, so it's, it's nice to, to read, but I, I did get weirded out a little bit because I've, being the employer and the employee, it would have been nice if I had someone outside of me being like, dude, you're ruining your career. Um, don't start your own business by yourself, I guess, in sobriety. I don't know. 
<laughs> All right, we got Danny over here. I think you can curse on the internet. I think it'll be all right. I'll just edit you out. <clears throat> uh, I love this, uh, uh, which we've been talking about a little bit. To you, liquor is no real problem. Uh, you cannot see why it should be to anyone else, save the spineless and stupid, talking about the perspective of a, of a non-alcoholic looking in at us. And uh, uh, whenever I read something like that or hear something about that, there's this little revulsion that comes up inside of me that's like, why does no one understand us? You know. Um, but if, I, if I'm like fully honest, I was just thinking about this uh, yesterday, that when I was a, a little kid, I used to take my dad's uh, uh, Marlboro light cigarette pack and I would put it underneath... Uh, his car tire so that when he uh, reversed out of the driveway that day, he would smash the cigarettes because I didn't want him to smoke anymore because I had this viewpoint uh, when I was that little um, of, like, how could you do something like that? Like, how could you put something into your body? Like, how could you be so spineless and stupid? You know what I mean? Uh, like, I just didn't understand why someone could be, like, a slave to something like that little uh, would I know a couple of years later would be smoking my own uh, Marlboro light cigarettes. Also, my dad never just like stopped because I put them on the, he just kept on going. Anyway, <clears throat> um, uh, unless, unless you have been uh, uh, through this or have been thoroughly educated on it or have been thoroughly educated on it uh, by somebody that you know, uh, you, you really won't uh, understand that. Uh, I had a, a, a boss who, um, thank God, uh, he was educated by somebody else uh, that he knew that that understand a little bit about this and uh, was able to, uh, you know, af after relapse, after relapse, firing and then hiring and then firing and then hiring, finally sat down with somebody and uh, um, got a little bit of a different perspective about this, was able to say uh, at some point, hey, I'm not, I'm not going to enable you anymore to do this. I'm not going to uh, uh, hire you back. And uh, we talked a little bit about that. Uh, Consequences will never keep us sober, right? The only thing that's ever going to keep us uh, uh, totally, uh, totally sober. Uh, the only thing that's ever going to keep us sober is some sort of spiritual experience. However, sometimes uh, there's a, a line over here. Uh, and but for the intervention of an understanding person, I might have followed in their footsteps. Sometimes uh, we do get that little intervention, those consequences that push us into the door uh, far enough um, so that we can actually end up having a spiritual experience and stay through that doorstep. Uh, and if it wasn't for uh, that employer um, eventually sitting down and going, you know what, I'm not hiring you back, uh, I don't know if I would have had enough time going forward to actually have that spiritual experience. Um, so, yeah, uh, em employers uh, uh, understanding this can help us very much. So that's all I got. Thanks, Thanks for sharing. For sharing. I think it's funny reading this chapter and this particular group of people because a lot of us, a large majority of us, have been blessed to work for a fantastic employer here in South Florida. I myself have actually had three jobs. I'm probably one of the lucky ones that uh, right when I first got sober to now, all of which you thoroughly understood alcoholism in this program of recovery for really different reasons. The first was my GM at a restaurant that I worked for who had a brother in recovery, and I worked there before I got sober and after, like in that transition. Um, the second was a lawyer that I currently work for who I started working for after I got sober, whose last secretary was severely alcoholic, but I would later find out I lived with him my first halfway. That's a fun story. 
And the third is a man who started a restaurant with eight years of sobriety who has a restaurant on Las Olas and makes it a point to hire people in recovery. And honestly, it it really makes a difference. We worked with so many people who had relapsed and like had that support in that restaurant to like be sent home when they weren't okay and been given the directive to like where they needed to go and been welcomed back because they understood. And so a lot of us are pretty lucky in this room. You know who I'm looking at. <laughs> Anyone? You know, the the biggest thing for me uh, with, with drinking at work was to getting honest. You know, my denial game was so strong that, uh, like, I, I did this thing for a while where I was drinking vodka because I had read that vodka couldn't smell, and then I would put a ton of hand sanitizer on, and that would be my M.O., because it was alcoholic hand sanitizer. So when it, when people inevitably smelled the vodka on me at my pores. desk, I would just pump a bunch of it on. i say, no, it's just hand sanitizer, and... And somebody, I remember my manager asked me if I was drunk, and I said, no, why, do you, why would you say that? Why would you think, why would you say that? And he's just like, just how you look. Just everything, just everything. And, uh, just I, you. <laughs> but I denied it, and, uh, and then went on to crash my car and get arrested, and, and then ended up in That'll South Florida. It. So uh, That wasn't through my employer, but it could have been if my denial game wasn't so strong. So uh, thank, God for, <laughs> thank God for AA, right? And thank God for sanity. You can really see in, in absurd, incredible, tragic things going on while drinking. My name's Andre, and I'm a recovered alcoholic. Yeah. Hey, Andre. Hi, Andre. Um, you know, I've never employed anybody or managed anybody in a professional setting, um, so I, I don't know what it's like to be an employer. Um, but um, I am the only sober one at my office. Um, you know, everybody drinks, and they, they party hard. Um, and, uh, you know, most, I've never had the, the conversation directly with my, uh, you know, with the director. You know, most of, uh, you know, my coworkers, they know um, that I'm in recovery. But, um, you know, in other jobs, I've used it as a crutch. Like, I've tried to get, like, preference, like, using it. Like, oh, like, can I leave early because I'm an alcoholic? And, um, and I didn't get the, the special treatment and I actually got, you know, looked down on for that, trying to use my alcoholism. Um, to to get my way, so um, take the alcohol out of an alcoholic, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, so I, I I don't I don't do that here, and um, um, you know, n- nobody's really asked me, you know, if no, I guess nobody's asked me if, uh, for any advice if they have a problem or anything. But you know, most people know that you know I am there, um, you know, as an example of somebody who is recovered and um, you know, who's successful. There, a lot of my coworkers have seen the transitions. You know, they see me. You know, um. You know, as a result of, you know, just, you know, advancing within, um, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, the road gets narrower, you know, we, you know, I quit smoking cigarettes, you know, I started taking better care of my, you know, dieting and things like that. Um, you know, so we're examples in the workplace of, um, of, you know, healthy living, even if, you know, maybe somebody doesn't know, I haven't told them that, you know, I'm in recovery, but they see, you know, um, an example of somebody who's recovered, whether they know it directly or not. And, um, and I guess one other thing I'll say, it's, um, I, I know it says it somewhere in the book earlier, um, you know, us alcoholics, we have like the, the knack for getting tight just at the wrong moment, you know. Um, for example, I had, a, I had a job interview, like, you know, when I was active. Um, you know, my uncle, he was like high up in a company, um, you know, I was, you know, in restaurant jobs or something, trying to get a real job. And, um, and my uncle had an interview set up. I pretty much had the job. All right, all I had to do was just piss clean. 
and show up. Show up. <laughs> That's it. And I had the job. And what did I do the night before? I got so drunk, I ended up showing up late to the interview. Um, I didn't even want to pee in the cup because I knew it was dirty. And I lost the job that was literally just handed to me, you know, as a result of, um, you know, of the lifestyle of, um, of being an alcoholic. So, um, you know, I just thought that was uh, relevant for my experience. So thank you, guys. Thanks for sharing. Thank All right. We got a medallion night tonight, right? Well, we got celebrate. some other stuff that we got to say, yeah? Anniversary. So we're well, going to uh, start wrapping up. Do we have a little early. Any, anybody else? Uh, would anyone else like to share before we close? What? <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up. Huh? Let's thank Kaylee for reading. You can go sit down now, my love. Yeah. You're great. Closing guide? Okay. Let's rock. From a vision for you on page 164, God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but you obviously cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and for countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. It is the practice of the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group for group members' sponsors to introduce their new sponsees by presenting them with a sponsorship medallion. Do we have any new members of Alcoholics Anonymous? Any members at all that would like to present their sponsees with a medallion? Introduce Uh, the sponsee. Anyone got a new one? No. Bring one next week. All right. Homework. Laugh at me, Teddy. (laughs) Laugh at me. Um, is anyone celebrating a year or more of sobriety tonight? We have some celebrants tonight, right? Do we have, okay, I know we got, we got Ryan that's going to present one. So let's go ahead and do that. So Ryan. Hey, I'm Ryan. I'm an alcoholic. Ryan. So I have the opportunity to present a three-year medallion tonight. Um, so uh, this person called me back in like October, I think it was, and asked me to take her through the book. Um, and... You know, it was, this is a definite example of God putting a person in my life at just the right time. Um, you know, I, I had the opportunity to work with Lexi and uh, Lexi. It just guy. happens to be her first night sharing. It's, it's a fun just, night. It's a God moment. Um, but, you know, I, like, I really feel like, you know, I have probably learned more from you than I could have taught you at all. So, you know, I think that this is like the definition of good sponsorship is like, I learned just as much from you as you're learning from me. So um, I'm so proud to give you this three year medallion. Uh Oh, Oh, it has a three on it. I have a mic. That's two mics. (laughs) I don't know what to say, which just makes me think of my first year because I said a lot, like a lot, like too much. And I, Definitely thought it was something that I earned and that God maybe helped a little bit, you know, and I'm just glad at year three, I finally know the difference. And I think a large part of that is belonging to this home group. So I just want to say thank you to everyone that supports me and pushes me and loves me and, and thanks. And that's it. 
You can clap now. Is anybody in need of a big book sponsor? Anybody, does anybody not have a sponsor? Go ahead and raise your hand. Don't be shy. Okay. No? All, All right. right. We're going to have people in need of sponsors and new sponsees next week. All right. If you'd like to become a member of this group, as I suggest you do, please join us after the meeting and fill out a membership card. Can all home group members please raise your hands? Everybody that's going to stick around and help us close. Awesome. Thank you. Great. We'll see you after the meeting. I hope to take down the room. <laughs> uh, Cover that. Thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, we hope to see you next week. Thursday is our Alcoholics and God Step Series workshop starting at 715 down in the Fellowship Hall. We're going to get here around 530 and actually starting this Thursday, we have Peter who's going to be starting. It's going to be awesome. Allie just concluded. Allie B just concluded an, an amazing 12-week uh, series. And so we got Peter, <laughs> Peter M. I'm not supposed to say his last name. Yeah, I you just, messed up. I just blew it. I'm Getting sorry. Getting edited. Okay. <laughs> Probably not the first thing. Okay. Please wait just a reminder until you are 75 feet away from the doors to vape or smoke. That includes the bathroom. Don't vape in the bathroom. Yeah. And let's shut it down with the Lord's Prayer. Yeah? Yeah. Who will bring us from shame to grace? Our Father, who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. It doesn't matter.
Shine, 
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go.
lessons when I go to sleep at night and I dream now. Yeah, I dream now. And everything's alright. <laughs> oh, man. Going on 10 years old, that song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
Got one man that just won't.